Welcome. This is Davros, and you are listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. And if you are not, you will be exterminated. Hello and welcome to episode 160 of Nerd Culture Podcast. You may be a little bit confused because I'm not actually David, I'm Richo! And I'm actually taking over this episode because it's a Doctor Who episode and I love Doctor Who and Dave has been generous enough to uh, give me the reins for one whole episode, everybody, so... (laughs) Well, not necessarily generous enough, I mean, you are the Who Review Man. Alright! So with me, as you just heard, is David. Hello, everyone. Also with us, as always, is Crystal. Oh, you've confused me with the order. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just not used to doing this. Hello, everyone. And last but not least... Uh. Well, most, uh, well, certainly last. <laughs> the least part is debatable. We have Luke. Hello, I'm the critic. Basically, rant. <laughs> and I'm hoping for a lot of ranting today, because this is the all-Doctor Who episode. Yeah. Every single thing you'll ever need to know about Doctor Who that doesn't involve you actually watching the show and enjoying it for yourself. In which case, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> Turn off the show right now <laughs> and watch all of Doctor Who. It'll only take 40 come back. years. Yeah. We've got the time, trust me. <laughs> trust me, we've all done it ourselves in the bars, so you should be doing it as well. That's right. So for this episode, we will have uh, just a, a brief history of... Uh, Doctor Who, what it's about, when it's aired, why it was created, that sort of thing. Just we should point out, not an actual history of the chronology of the show, because that will take us and literally is, five decades. And is far, he did say far the word confusing. brief. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yes, but Stephen Hawking yes. also said a brief history. Yeah, that book's yeah. thick, man. In fact, <laughs> uh, my, in sending out uh, in sending out my guidelines for this episode, I did describe the first part of the show as a brief history of time. Dot 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 and space. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. We'll look at uh, the Doctor and uh, just discuss who our favourite of the Doctors was. We'll also be doing uh, top companions, top villains, and uh, our just a, a brief sort of summary of our favourite episodes with a five-minute re- review of, a, of an episode of our choosing. So, Doctor Who is a British science fiction television series that has been running on and off since 1963. It is, in fact, the most successful science fiction TV show of all time in that regard and holds a series of records for you know most number of episodes most number of storylines so on and so forth it initially ran um, from 1963 until its cancellation in 1989 um, which we'll discuss a little bit briefly later on there was then an attempt to revive the show in 1996 with a television movie no, uh, the Paul McCann movie. The Paul movie. That it was counts. Um, it counts. It, it does, does count. count. It is part of the continuity. Um, yeah. 
And whilst whilst the movie was successful in uh, England with almost uh, 10 million viewers, it didn't really catch on anywhere else, and so therefore uh, that revival actually didn't work. But the uh, Americas weren't all that enamoured with it just yet. Just no. wait 10 years, and then yeah, exactly right. They tried a couple of pushes in America, mm, and and they did varying levels of success. There, there was even attempt at uh, one point to do a movie featuring David Hasselhoff as the doctor. Oh my god, is that true? Oh, he just made that up. Nope. That is I'm hilarious. sure the doctor himself went back in time to prevent that from happening. <laughs> I'm thinking of is um, David Hassel who um, Hoff who yeah, there would um, have been a lot of a lot of jokes, you know. Doctor Hoff, that's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> but then um, in 2005, a uh, second attempt uh, to revive the show uh, happened under the watchful eye of Russell Davies, and that has actually proven to be unbelievably successful and the show is now experiencing arguably its most uh, popular period certainly its most popular period outside of the 1970s and early 80s Mm. when the show was at its initial peak no doubt in its time it has also uh, resulted in a few spin-off series um, most notably Torchwood the Sarah Jane Adventures and a couple of seasons of Canine (laughs) Canine and Company no Canine and Company was actually just a pilot Mm. Did it um, not even get a series? No, it didn't get a series, but in oh. 2009... You got the cartoon canine. Canine got, canine got two seasons. <laughs> um, they got two seasons out of canine. They did, yeah. Yeah, 2009, I haven't seen a single episode. Um, I have seen canine a couple. I didn't realise it was just one episode. put that down to the sheer popularity of Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah exactly right. And uh, it has, um, outside of the, the TV show, it has also resulted in um, countless radio plays, books, comic books... Uh, merchandising phenomenon. Um, well, that's where Paul McGann's doctor gets all of, most of his life is through the radio. Through plays. the radio plays, yeah. yeah. And the ra- some of the radio plays are actually really quite good. I've only um, I've only listened to two of them, and they were both perfectly accurate. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. perfectly fine. Mm. Um, they the Paul McGann ones. Just yeah. to get a bit more Paul McGann action. <laughs> I'm not going to say Paul McGann anymore. Paul McGann. You sure? <laughs> Let's just say Paul McGann was not the uh, Paul McGann, problem Paul McGann. <laughs> with it the uh, television fault. movie at all. <laughs> um, there are also two um, basically unrelated movies from the 1960s, which I'm not really going to touch on. They're not part of the canon. Um, They're they adaptations do, more of yeah, the of, stories. Of, of two episodes. And it, it needs to be said, inferior adaptations. One of uh, the original Dalek story and one of the Dalek invasion of Earth. Um the movie's really, really only noticeable for the fact, uh, notable for the fact that um, Peter Cushing plays the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, we're not. You know, he rides a bicycle. <laughs> In vegetable, <laughs> buying vegetables. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's, it's, a, it's a private matrimony drink. It's all good. <laughs> Um, yeah, like I said, we're not really going to uh, touch on the movies. They're not part of the canon, and uh, not, not a fan. They're not. They're not really, honestly, not really worth discussing in any great detail. <laughs> anyway, they're actually pretty ordinary. Now, am I correct in saying that it took David Tennant to break the American market? He certainly. Well, I mean, he was the Doctor at that point. I'm not. I'm not really sure. Would it would it be him specifically, or then just... I think, and because I think that's when it, it was... got really popular, and then people went back and looked at the Christopher. What, that's, yeah. when, that's when BBC America yeah. um, really started really started it. really started flogging it. Um, yeah. and that's yeah. and so yeah, you probably are correct in saying that's um, he's the one who broke the American market. Mm. Doctor Who has actually been has actually been 
quite popular in America. Um, mm. It's been on it, it does syndication. Have it's been rerun. They've had the yeah. conventions there and stuff. Um, yeah, like yeah. Tom Baker. It, it, has, so it, it has, had a cult it, following. Big cult following. Well. David Tennant was the one who broke it. Uh, but Matt Smith, Matt Smith is, has cemented has it. cemented it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's really sold mm. for the Americans. I mean, you know, you don't get too many David Tennant cosplayers, but you'll get a lot of people dressed in the tweed jacket with a bow tie and the fez. So what cool! I swear, fez. Fed sales must have tripled <laughs> because of Doctor Who. And I'm saying that I, I quite like the Fez look. I think that's really good. <laughs> okay, so the first episode of Doctor Who actually aired on Saturday the 23rd of November 1963. Around the same time that John F. Kennedy was assassinated, actually. And... Um, as, as such, it was... That's fortunate timing. Yeah, well, it was felt that the, the, the viewing um, numbers on that first episode weren't really indicative of, of what the show could achieve because of that very thing. It felt that that disrupted. So the BBC actually um, replayed the episode um, uh, before they, they aired the second episode. Yeah, um, good call. One, probably one of the first ever encore showings. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Um, Channel 10 does that all the time now. It's yeah, they've got nothing else to play. Yeah, exactly right, because <laughs> their Channel 10's ratings are not Yeah, existent. our show sucks so much, anything <laughs> that gets even a slight bump, we're going to show it again! <laughs> um, Bloody Channel 10. Yeah, uh, the development of the show uh, was mainly spearheaded by um, Sidney Newman, who was the head of the drama department in the BBC at the time, um, uh, and he was working alongside uh, Donald Wilson, and C.E. Weber uh, as well. Uh, yeah, so you actually um, the reason why the reason why um, he speared, he spearheaded Doctor Who was that he actually was an ardent believer in science fiction. Hmm. Um, he'd worked on a couple of science fiction shows in Canada, um, and they'd they'd been quite popular. And wanted to bring um, some of that to the BBC as a way of educating children. Yeah, yeah. the 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 initial format of the show was that. Um, he wanted to bring actual actual science into it, mm. and also historical, historical stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, the initial seasons, pretty much right through to um, the Highlanders during the Patrick Troughton era, um, the the basic format of the show was to have one like straight science fiction story, then followed by an historical story, then the science fiction story, historical story, and oh, well, with, a, with a slight variation yeah, here and there. Onto, onto that yeah. But that even yeah, that a... even that structure that you're talking about there took a while the, the initial the initial pitch for Doctor Who was that it was just going to be straight out history that they yeah. were time travelling he initially didn't want any bug-eyed monsters because he thought that that was going yeah. to equate to silliness which means that people weren't going to watch um, there was not going yeah. to be much education so it sounds like a bit, a bit serious serious well, yeah. he, was, he was right on the silliness part but people still going to watch you, know, it was, yeah. you need a bit of silliness mm. yeah. Um, but and and that idea sort of basically the whole idea of just keeping it serious, deadly serious, and making it all about history, basically falls through with the story that we'll probably get to. Uh, yeah, we w- we mind. will get to that when when the show really does actually hit its stride is actually its second story, which we will talk about in a, in a little bit. Initially, and it should be pointed out too that um, we've actually left a few people out here. Um, the initial producer of the series, Verity Lambert. Um, the story editor David Whitaker and writer Anthony Coburn also came in um, in those early stages, and, and that group working together was what um, influenced the development of the series into what it is that we know and love today. 
Um, and Rhoda Lambert's actually important to the show. Can't be under, overstated. That's um, right. Her involvement that it was actually taken seriously, not just treated as nonsense that could be thrown about the shed, uh, thrown about the schedule. You know, she was adamant that all the scripts and the stories made sense. Mm. Um, that, the, but they were actually entertaining um, yeah. dramas yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So the show, the show proved to be relatively successful in its first story. Mm. Then really takes off with its second story. Um, the initial stories, for, for people who don't know, the initial stories didn't actually have, like, overriding titles. That, that was something that actually came in much, much later. Oh, there you go. Yeah. The, in, the initial story um, has... Um, an unearthly child. Has mm. been, yeah, designated an unearthly child. Um, Star Wars style. Yeah. Was it just episode yeah. one? Yeah. Mm. Oh. And um, two pilots were actually shot. Uh, the initial pilot is kind of interesting to watch, but the Doctor is much grumpier and he's not an really likable. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> he's just um, a straight up bastard. Yeah, and that was deemed Which a little bit. Like. And that was deemed a little bit too too much. I mean, the show was being aimed at children and families. Yeah, and they felt that perhaps a more uh, kindly, father figurely Doctor might be the way to go. Um, I, I don't think they turned him into a kindly fa- grandfatherly figure. I think they just played up the sort of the more impishness nature of his personality. Hmm. But his his relationship with with Susan, Susan. in uh, in the second pilot is much more paternal and hmm. yeah, he's much more likable. Yeah. in that story, and that's and that's the actual pilot episode that aired. Hmm. And honestly, I think that's probably a good thing that that was the pilot episode that aired. The initial casting of the Doctor was uh, William Hartnell, who had come off uh, a lot of critical acclaim for a movie called The Sporting Life. And um, he was teamed with uh, what would be the first three companions of the Doctor. And we'll talk a little bit more about the companions later on. But um, uh, initially, um, he was he's travelling with his granddaughter, Susan. And in the first episode, we're introduced to Barbara and Ian, who are human teachers who um, sort of follow the mystery of Susan and her incredible intelligence, leading them to the Doctor and uh, to the TARDIS. The first episode also introduces, of course, the police box version of the TARDIS, which has become, you know, an iconic symbol of the TV series. But things really take off with the second story, uh, which has subsequently been uh, referred to as the Daleks. Or alternatively as The Mutants, which was Terry Nation's original title. The reason I want to talk about this is because, obviously, this is the introduction of the Daleks. This is a huge, a huge moment for the show and resulted in the largest merchandising that the BBC had ever seen at this point. But initially, the show, uh, the episode actually wasn't going to air at all. Terry Nation had written a, 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 an initial script called The Mutants in which the Thals and the Daleks were both uh, just competing races. Uh, but then he rewrote it because he thought, no, we need a real enemy, and mm. so he turned the Daleks into the aggressors. But uh, Sidney Newman didn't want to do it because it basically fit into the bug-eyed monsters category that he had uh. rallied against early on. So they'd finished the first serial, and unfortunately they didn't have anything else ready to go at that point. They didn't have another completed script. So they ended up having to shoot the Daleks because there was just nothing else ready for them. And um, But that turned out to be like a huge success for them because the Daleks became an instant phenomenon. Mm. Like they had, uh, after, the, after the first appearance of the Daleks, they had 
like people writing in saying how much they love them. And like right after the initial story, people were writing in saying, "Can you bring the Daleks back?" They were that awesome, you know. So, and that turned out that that was what sort of really gave the show its initial pop- popularity was the appearance of the Daleks. People were just wowed by it, and suddenly the the ratings just started to skyrocket at that point. One of the things about um, the Doctor during its classic classic phase um, is the idea of hiding behind the the hiding behind the couch so that you didn't have to look at the scary monsters aspect, mm. and it starts with the Daleks. The yeah. amount of kids who hid behind the couch because they didn't know what the Daleks were or what these strange voices were, and it terrified the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, and it became sort of almost almost an ongoing gag um, for you know Generation X's um, talking well, about oh, have- sorry watching it over the um, the edge of the ed- over the top of the couch. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I have a friend of that age, and she is still scared of the Daleks. <laughs> Well, interestingly enough, the hiding behind the sofa uh, term didn't actually exist until Doctor Who. Like, it wasn't part of, um, of, of you know, British pop culture lexicon at all. So, as stated earlier, the, um, the series ran from 63 until 1989, 26 seasons in total. Um, there was one year that uh, during the Colin Baker period where it wasn't aired. Um, is like that a writer's because of it's during the comic? <laughs> <laughs> there, there were a lot of um, issues going on between the BBC, the producers, um, the the script editors, Colin Baker himself. Um, there, there was literally no consensus as to what the show should be, which is why that period comes across as just a complete mess. And kind of the way he's dressed as well. Yeah, well, his his initial his and the and the and the head writer's idea was initially to have him dressed all in black. But the BBC and the producers didn't like that, and yeah, so that they it was all over the place, and ratings plummeted at that point, and um, so they actually just stopped production, um, well, there and you go. restructured the show, brought Sylvester McCoy in as a replacement Doctor. Um, unfortunately, it didn't really help all that much. The damage seemed to have already been done, and Sylvester McCoy didn't really take off the way they would have hoped. Um, it's still better than Colin, though. Yeah. They did try to mitigate the damage during Colin Baker's run because there is actually a, about a year and a half gap between Colin Baker's first season and his second season. Yeah, yeah that's in which that case they retool, retooled the show. Retooled the show and they brought um, long-standing Doctor Who script editor and writer Robert Holmes back to help shepherd the show back to where it once was. Mm. Um, and that second season of Colin Baker's is called The Trial of the Time Lord, which is basically the longest. No, sorry, longest. third longest. Uh, it is the longest. It is the longest. It's um, six episodes in total that they'd ever done for Classico, um, comprised of several short serials in between this overarching um, trial of the Doctor. Uh-huh. Yeah, unfortunately, Robert Holmes then passed away halfway through that. So the the first half of it is actually much better. Mm. But unfortunately, none of this saved the show, and it was cancelled in '89, as we said. Um, he must have been kicking himself when he saw Christopher Eccleston mm. pretty much all dressed in black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is interesting that, isn't it? How how, how much um, perceptions had changed in that period to allow for Christopher Eccleston to appear the way yeah. that he did. Yeah, yeah and as, as we said, obviously the show right now experiencing an absolute renaissance period in popularity. Um, there are conventions, there are 
mini episodes appearing online now. Um, you know, it should also be pointed out. Point, points to the the actual people that kept the show still within the popular consciousness while it was cancelled, um, especially the the radio, the Big Finish radio plays. Um, you know, were continually produced during that time period. Um, and yeah, that, that, that I think kept things going until we got to the point where we're at now. So there's a, just a, a brief history. Um, obviously, you know, the show's been running for 50 years on and off. There's a lot more to it than that, but, um, I think we've covered the basics for now. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about the, the show itself and, um, you know, the characters, the villains, the companions. Um, so obviously, first of all, we've got to start with the Doctor himself. Uh, for those three or four of you who don't know, the Doctor is um, an alien from a planet called Gallifrey. He is a Time Lord who basically stole a time machine <laughs> and went gallivanting off through space having adventures. Um, along the way, picking up people, companions to travel with him. That's the basics. You don't need to know much more than that. There has been 12... Or 13 people, depending on how you look at it. Uh, actors who have played the Doctor. Well, there's definitely been 13. Well, yeah, but the tw- but... 12 are considered, like, the 12 Doctors. And then there is the War Doctor, who is... I don't know, for some strange reason, he's it depends listed on whether you, of that. It depends on whether you suck on the teat of Stephen Moffat or not. Whether he actually counts. I mean, it's, I think it's it's... It's clearly the, wrong. It's canon. But, you know, it is officially canon. Yeah. <laughs> so what can you do? Um, <laughs> to to be a, fair... To be, okay, it's to a be, massive cheat. There, to be fair, he actually counts um, the David Tennant uh, almost regeneration at the end of series four. Yep. He regenerates into himself. Or, yeah. uh, as, as an, and he regenerates into himself as another regeneration. Which is also wrong. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, about the re- regeneration. Um, as we stated earlier, the first person to play the Doctor was William Hartnell, um, and he was present for three seasons, but his health was failing, and, and you see that actually quite, quite predominantly in uh, the final season, um, where he's really not a major presence, and they do a lot to either write him out of episodes to give him a break or, you know, have him, you know, trapped or in some way incapacitated so he really doesn't have to do a lot. But So, yeah, with um, William Hartnell really being unable to do... Uh, to fulfil the role anymore, um, they cre- created a situation where he could actually... Well, it, it's called regeneration now, but at the time they didn't have a name for it. In fact... Um, the word regeneration isn't used until uh, John Pertwee regenerates into Tom. Really? Baker. Yeah. Um, but this well, is whatever this is, it's called. It's genius. Exactly right. This is the absolute, I think, key pivotal moment in the history of the show, is when William Hartnell regenerates into Patrick Troughton. It establishes the precedent that the Doctor can basically change shape whenever an actor wants to leave. And um, it's yeah, brilliant. And just on a quick nod to William Hartnell. Um, he was actually a guy who, in spite of his age, really got into the show as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, he actually had an idea for the show's second series, in which he was going to, in which he wanted to play two parts, himself and the Doctor's son, who was going to look like that he was the same age as the Doctor. And mm. so whenever the Doctor would leave, his son would appear 
and do some evil shenanigans because the whole idea was that the son was going to be evil. Uh, and, you know, sort of facing... So a precursor to the master, sort of. Kind of. Or, um, or to the Enemy of the World mm. episode during the Patrick Troughton era where they went with the, the Doctor just happens to mysteriously look like this evil dictator. Mm. Um, <laughs> right. So he was actually a guy who fully understood. And if you want to see uh, an interesting take on the William Hartnell period, I can recommend Adventures in Time and Space, which yeah. they did for the 50th anniversary, yeah. in which Donald Bradley actually does a very good job of playing William Hartnell. And the nice thing about his performance in that is that you see William Hartnell um, embracing the children who embrace him as the Doctor. Hmm. So, Patrick Troughton took over from William Hartnell, um, and then after that, it just became a regular recurring thing. Anytime an actor wanted to leave, they would create... It should be said, some of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever in order to write the old actor out and bring the new Doctor in. Um, Can we also note that it was uh, set at 12 regenerations? Not, 12. Initi- not, not initially. initially. When, not when that that, does, all come in? that, that doesn't come that, in that, until that, The Deadly Assassin, yeah. Yeah. until Tom yeah. Baker's period. Gotcha. In which, and that's used more to more to get around the fact that the Master's in it. Yeah, so the yeah. Master's still a body to get around yeah. it. Yeah. 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 All right. So, just quickly, the actors who have played the Doctor... After William Hartnell, we had Patrick Troughton, then John Pertwee, Tom Baker, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, who is no relation. Thank God. Um, and Sylvester McCoy, wrapping up the the initial uh, Doctor Who 26 seasons. Then uh, Paul McGann. Uh, well, Sylvester McCoy actually returned for the movie. Yeah. Just in time to get... Riddled with bullets and killed. <laughs> um, regenerated. And then regenerated. It's uh, five to minutes, again. isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. He's, he literally just gets mowed down. It's like, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> Make way for the better looking actor. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just that. It's kind of like, this is the doctor. And yes, he's, he's helping someone out in the street, but he walks out of his TARDIS and gets gunned down. Gets in the gunned down. Yeah. It's, it, it feels... It's so wrong. It, it, it's too cheap. ordinary to use... Uh, but it, it, it feels like... Um, the people wanting that we're trying they're, they're trying to do realism but not mm. understanding just what the doctor is yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. the fantastical exactly yeah, right. he doesn't get he doesn't get mowed down the street saving anybody he gets take you know he gets taken out saving the world yeah, yeah. yeah. it was too ordinary to use mm. uh, Clara's phrase mm. yeah <laughs> exactly so yes Paul McGann then took over for the movie and really, that was it for him. <laughs> he shows up once in a little mini-movie uh, for the 50th anniversary, but that's it. Um, and then when the show rebooted, it started with uh, Christopher Eccleston, um, which I think was actually a very good move on their part because he was a, a, already a known, established actor with a, a good following. And then after him came David Tennant, Matt Smith, and most recently, Peter Cavaldi. Um, and then also, uh, for the 50th anniversary special, we were also introduced to uh, John Hurt as the War Doctor, filling the gap between the Paul McCann Doctor and Christopher Eccleston. He did a fairly good job, I must hmm. say. He did, yeah, actually. Yeah. Well, he's a great actor um, in you know, his own right. So, And I think, I think he, an actor of that calibre was what was needed to be able to pull off that, that story in the first place. Um, as Dave pointed out earlier is it's a cop out that's was it how did you describe it it's a cheat it's a cheat that's right as much as i love john hurt and i i do adore the scene when they're in the prison and they're all they're using their sort of screwdrivers and yeah. and clara just walks through the door or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brilliant stuff and a bit it just it 
it frustrates the hell out of me. <laughs> given is this like, nerd rage? The it is nerd rage. The master, like the, the the master breaks the rules, right? And and it's a very clear, like in the in the, the assassin thing, how how he does it, right? He cheats, right? Yeah. And that's fine. I'm cool with that. But this one, Stephen Stephen Moffat just refuses to accept the fact that he's just cheated, and it claims that it's all part of the canon and stuff. And that's what irritates me. Like he really? thinks he's better than all of us. I don't, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's right, Stephen Moffat. If you're listening, we yes, think that you yes, think that you're better than yes, us. Yes, head writer Stephen Moffat. How dare you know? Think you know more about that than it, we do? Well, he just, it's, it's, he just I think he it doesn't. Given, well, I don't, I don't no, given the Doctor is now fifteen hundred years old, there's a lot of history. Yeah. we've only seen like bits and pieces yeah. of it. It's, I can't, and there I can't was see no, a problem with that. There being, but an he hasn't said that. If he had said there is a story that I haven't told yet that explains how I pulled it off. What is it sweet? That's perfectly fine. But he doesn't. He says, no, no, it makes perfect sense, and then lists off some does. random crap. It doesn't. I mean, it's an enforced <clears throat> regeneration from Paul McGann to um, John, Hurt. John Hurt. And it's not like that's the first time that the, the Doctor has been forced into a regeneration. But no, that's, by not, that's not what I'm talking I mean, about. I'm talking about the fact that he's actually gotten 13 regenerations. But well, it's only meant to, meant to have okay, one. It was, it was going to have to happen eventually, one way or another. But then you need to say why. That the John Hurt thing's got nothing to do with the thirteenth regeneration, and that's what I'm talking about. It's it's um, <laughs> the the Time Lords give him some magic stardust. <laughs> some magic stardust. Anyway, let's move well, on. Let's Clara, yeah, let's, Clara looks upon a crack in the space time continuum. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I was hoping we'd have at least some kind of nerd rage this episode. So. That's, that's um, fine. All right. Well, that does bring me then to my first question for the crew. Um, We've had 12 or 13 Doctors. Um, so More if you count Peter Cushing. <laughs> more if you count Peter Cushing. <laughs> and then we've got to bring Richard E. Grant into it somewhere. Ah, uh, yes, the Richard E. Grant. Also. I've not, I've not actually, I confess I've not actually seen it, but yeah. the Doctor never really... There's Richard oh, he's not officially Doctor Who at that no, point. No, he's not officially yeah. Doctor Who, but they did do a Doctor yeah. animated yeah. series. Doctor. Yeah. With the idea of... Maybe taking the Doctor into either web animation or making him a cartoon, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. and so they got Richard E. Grant to voice to play the part of the Doctor, and the Doctor went up against the Master. Yeah. And it's kind of ironic because Richard oh, E. Grant God. had also played a regeneration, one of the regenerations of the Doctor in Curse of the Fatal Death, which Stephen Moffat wrote for the comic strip. There's also which, that um, that that blatant ripoff show with. Uh, with the, the the doctor and his companion that travel around and do stuff, so it was like a pilot show, but uh, which was clearly meant to be Doctor Who and a companion, but it basically just but this, wasn't. It's basically just yeah. this dude that travels around mm. in space and he's he's offsider and and BBC <laughs> quickly nicks that one. Yeah. <laughs> the band hammer. So my question to the group is: um, of the twelve or thirteen doctors that we've had, who is your favourite? And yeah, if you've got a couple of honourable mentions, yeah, chuck them in. So let's start with Crystal. Well, my favourite Doctor always comes back to Tom Baker mm. because he's the one I grew up with. So, um, yes, he does overact it a little bit at times, but that's part of the charm. <laughs> it's just whenever I was a, a child, it doesn't matter after the regenerations, whenever I thought of Doctor Who, you thought mm. of the man with the big curly hair and a long scarf. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always mm. Tom Baker for me. I mean, not to say that the subsequent Doctors haven't been any good, not counting Tom, uh, Colin Baker. <laughs> I mean, I really enjoyed the subsequent Doctors as well, but he's always yeah. going to be my uh, sentimental favourite. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, next, oh, oh, I think it's going to be a common theme, obviously, is, yeah, I mean, uh, for everything that Crystal just said, uh, Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor, is uh, is my favourite. And, and yeah, the overacting sometimes does get a bit ridiculous. But, I just, yeah, I just, I love him. And he had, I mean, he had energy, he had attitude. Um, I wouldn't say was, style. Oh, uh, <laughs> he, had, he had his own he style. Had, he had the he hat. Had his own style. I love and, the hat. And he made it work. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, it was just, I just, I think he's... So there, there, there was a, a, some you know occasions when the overacting sometimes maybe got a bit out of control, but um, but like I said, it's, it's part of the style. And mm. and yeah, and, and for, for what you said, it's just he's the he's the he's the doctor of my childhood, yeah. and so he will always be remembered for that. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm, 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 we were allowed to do honourable mentions, so yeah, I mean, I quite like Pertwee as well because yeah. that's yeah. he was actually the first my first doctor. Um, and so, and so, I'm actually the, the man of action, Doctor. And you know, I think he like, is fantastic. At yeah, that too. and just... as much as I mean, it's probably going to happen quite a lot during this episode, but actually, I'm not a fan of New Who, and but I do quite like Matt Smith. I must mm. admit. I mean, it's, I'm not a fan of the, the episodes, but Matt Smith himself, I think he just has he just has a certain charm mm. that he just can't get past. He always says that, but he has to know what's going on. <laughs> Leave me <you> alone. <laughs> Okay. To be fair to Dave on that point, I'm 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 a, I'm a fan of the Matt Smith era. I actually think I do actually quite like the stories, but I wasn't a huge fan of um, the Russell T Davies era. Um, but I still watched it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I still had to know what was going on. Yeah, exactly. So I completely understand where Dave's coming from. Um, my favourite. It's a common theme, and he is you know is routinely voted as the top Doctor anyway. I mean his um, his longevity on the show. He ran for. 70, from 74 till 81 hmm. um, you know Tom Baker as well uh, but not just it, partly also the quixotic, na- quixotic nature of, of his performance you know he could be deathly serious hmm. uh, one moment and then you know immediately turn it around and uh, revel in sort of the danger that they were about to face as yeah. well and the nice thing about it is that even though he's, a, he's kind of an imposing guy he's got a big physical um, presence he never actually let that get in the way, so he never actually pushed himself around. Push, he never uh, pushed other people around, or made you feel that the doctor was being aggressive. That the doctor was actually standing up for people who probably couldn't defend themselves, at least on screen. Or at least on screen. <laughs> Off screen's a different story. Um, and it, it made a nice departure from the Jean Pertwee era. Um, yeah. And I'm a, I'm really a fan of the doctor from Patrick Troughton all the way through to D- Peter Davison. Right. I think you had four. Very different actors, yeah. um, who brought something new and interesting to the Doctor that actually helped form the Doctor's character. Yeah. That you can still see um, in David Tennant and Peter Davison's, uh, sorry, not Peter Davison, Matt Smith's performance yep. um, to that um, to this day. Yeah. You know yeah. the sort of the the quirky, charming guy who, when you absolutely needed him, was the most brilliant, resourceful man in the galaxy, and yeah. you, there was no one else to. To, to stave off the threat of Daleks or um, whatever space plague is, is is affecting a planet or the Master's <laughs> latest the evil plague. plan or the return of the Cybermen. Yeah. Um, you know, the, all four of those men proved that when the when you actually needed him, the Doctor was the was the only man that you could count on. Mm. And Pertwee is the only one, the only man I've ever seen that pulls off that ruffled shirt. Mm. But you know, he, he had nothing but style, though. Mm, and awesome. you, you see him in interviews, even after he'd finished um, his time on Doctor Who, 
whenever he went to conventions and things, he'd still show up in the velvet jacket, the ruffle shirt. Like, he really, he went, went out of his way to give the fans the experience. He, he'd bring the Hoomobile with him, which, because that, that, he actually owns the, owned the Hoomobile. Like, he actually had it commissioned and had it built. Didn't and, it have a name? Wasn't it Bessie or something? It was no, no, Bessie was the car before that. Oh, the, Bessie was the car before The yellow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I quite like Peter Davison too, I must say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, quite, I think, the, I think, Sorry. So the quiet, the thing I like about Peter Davison, and it's so strongly probably his best story, which is the Caves of Androzani, mm-hmm. is the quiet heroism that he displays. Yeah. He's the youngest doctor at that point too, wasn't yeah, he? he? The was, youngest doctor, yeah. at that, youngest doctor at that point, but um, he he wasn't the grand personality that was say Tom Baker or even John Pertwee. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a much more um, uh, inhibited, not not quite refined, but like I said, certainly a lot quiet, a much quieter version, but yeah. uh, strained. Restrained, yeah. Mm, thank you. Yeah. That's a, that's the word I was looking and, for. And and more, more of the gentleman doctor. More of the gentleman doctor, well. but you didn't believe, didn't for a second believe that he was anything but a hero. Mm. Mm. Well said. Look, I, th- I think you actually you made a good point earlier. Um, from Patrick Troughton through to Peter Davison is just the the glory period for the the initial series, and and I must admit it's been great actually to see Patrick Troughton episodes mm. because for a long time there was. Tomb of the Cybermen, and that was it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's actually been great with the with the recovery that's been going on of the missing episodes. It's actually been great to, to actually be able to experience actually now quite a lot of his period. Mm. Um, certainly his his second and third seasons. Um, the, the impish clown doctor. Yeah, exactly. The hobo clown. Yeah. Um, a beetle haircut. Yeah. He's awesome. Um, but as everybody else has, has said, um, for me, yeah, Doctor Who just is Tom Baker, and yeah, we're of that that age group though that um, you know that went through that initial peak period of Doctor Who's popularity that was centered around the Tom Baker um, era. I actually came a little bit later. Um, yeah, you're you're way younger than us. I'm, I'm younger than you guys. So when I when you know when I was you know able to actually start watching Doctor Who, which was in the middle of the eighties, yeah. um, Peter Davison had already left and was in the Colin Baker period. But I don't remember watching Colin Baker when I was a kid. I remember watching your, bo- your brain's wiped probably it from just your as well. No, no, because I watched Colin Baker later on. But um, you know, the, I, I remember um, uh, John Pertwee fighting um, one of the. Um, uh, one of the guys at the end of the second Curse of Peladon story in, yeah. involved in a sword fight. I remember um, my hiding behind the couch, which was the Talons of Wang Chiang. Um, <laughs> you wuss. That's all right. Okay. My, 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 hiding behind the, my hiding behind the couch was Terror of the Zygons. So. Never hid behind the couch. Just more so, the, something in an episode of Doctor Who that just kind of freaked you out. We didn't have a couch anyway. We had beanbags. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> point out something, point out something here. When I first saw Talons of Wang Chiang, I was... Five, right. The giant rat scared the hell out of me, and is probably responsible for my phobia today. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. There's one thing I do. I mean, you've you've all made great points about Tom Baker and what makes him work, but um, there's one other thing that I'd like to bring up about Tom Baker that I, I think just makes him such a great doctor, um, and actually segues nicely into our next section is awesome. that he just had an incredible um, chemistry. With all of his companions, mm. like regardless of who he was working with, the relationship just always was just fantastic. Mm. Um, which does, like I said, segue into what I'd like to talk about next, which is the probably the second most important part of the show outside of the Doctor himself, which is his companions. So right from the very outset, as we discussed uh, earlier on uh, in the history, the Doctor has had people traveling with him. Um, yeah, they serve as the audience. 
know, it's, it's, yeah, so the, the point audience, of view character. Yeah, the point of view. Character. Yeah. Um, now, the the initial structure of of the Doctor companion relationship was that there would be a one companion who was usually a young girl, and she was designed to be the audience's you know go to character, the one that that they sort of channeled themselves into. That could be me. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, beginning, of course, with his granddaughter Susan. There was also always um, through the the period of the first two Doctors. There was also always a, a man of action type companion as well, starting with with Ian, and working through uh, Steve Stephen Taylor, the uh, the astronaut, um, and then Ben the sailor, uh, <laughs> and then Jamie the Highlander. I mean, there, there was always the the guy there because because the Doctor himself wasn't physically imposing. There was always somebody there to do the fight scenes and the, the and the really physically man. physically imposing stuff. Um, Which changed when John Pertwee became exactly he became he was the man. He actually, yeah. Even though he was he was probably around about the same age, maybe a bit younger than Patrick Troughton. You know, he was still he's not. Uh, he was a big no. imposing figure, that, yeah. um, but you know he did. Yeah. You know Venusian. Um, he still had. He still had men of action around him. He still had unit. Mm. He did. He did. Um, and we'll talk about actually talk about unit in a minute. Um, but yeah, there's also an interesting in that um, the Tom Baker's first two companions. One was Sarah Jane. The other one was Harry Sullivan. Harry was actually brought in initially to fulfil that man of action role because they hadn't cast the Doctor yet. Right. Um, and part of the reason why Harry doesn't really work is that they then cast Tom Baker, who is, you know, a very tall, imposing figure, and really... Um, and, and so Harry kind of disappears into the background in that first season and then is gone by the start of the second. That so. explains it. I never yeah. thought of that. Yeah, he, he was actually nothing. cast... Mm. Yeah, he, he was actually cast before... Gotcha. Poor um, Harry, I feel bad now. Yeah. I don't feel bad too, too bad for Ian Marty. He actually went on to... Um, the actor that played Harry went on to... Um, write a lot of Doctor Who novels and is actually considered the best of the Doctor Who writers gotcha. uh, novelizations from that period. Unfortunately, he passed away very early. Um, he died uh, in the late 80s. Yeah, it was only yeah. uh, 43, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In, in trying to research companions, it's actually, it's very difficult. Like, you ask the question, how many companions are there? Who's the, been the longest running companion? I wanted to just Throw Gross. those numbers out, and but it, honestly, it is all over the place. Yeah, it's because it's, um, it's not really clear the, to find what a companion is. That's right. A lot of people will consider characters like the Brigadier yeah. as a companion, even though he doesn't actually do any real travelling with the Doctor. Um, and then even uh, Yates and Benton, who are his subordinates in unit, even they get thrown in to the mix. Um, in um, the new stuff, uh, the new Doctor Who period. Um, Often companion lists will include the one-off companions from like the Christmas specials and yeah. and that season of specials they did to like end. Donna's dad. Uh, yeah, Donna's I'm, I'm um, really Donna's him, dad. I, can say. I mean, Rose's mum. Um, and Rory's Rose's dead. boyfriend. Yeah, Rose's boyfriend. Whatever. Um, see, Rose's yeah. Mickey's a bit different because Mickey actually does Mickey. join. He does travel for Does a while. join the TARDIS crew. Yeah, see, Mickey yeah. is a companion. I can, I can, I can let that slide. But Rose's mum. Mm, no, yeah. she's no, not. It just com- doesn't work. Yeah. No, look, I, I, I agree. So, like like I said, it's kind of hard to... Um... Although it is hilarious when she comes on to what he... <laughs> <laughs> like, there's also... There's a bad. There's also... A, um, no, there's not. <laughs> there's also a couple of completely forgotten um, sort of pseudo-companions that didn't really last long. Um, the first Doctor actually had two in the same story. Um, in the Dalek Master Plan, um, he had a woman called Katerina... 
and another one called Sarah Kingdom, and neither of them lasted past that story. Mm. It's <laughs> like they <laughs> don't remember them at all. Yeah, well, the, the the attempt there was to actually create a different type of companion, but they didn't feel that it worked. All right. Um, and because you know, before that, they'd had Susan, and then after her, Vicky, the the young girl companion. So they kind of they killed off one of them and wrote the other one out at the end of that story, and brought in a character called Dodo, the less the said about Dodo the better she's generally considered uh, the, worst. the worst of the companions right um, yeah yeah so bad that they don't even give her a proper send off they basically just say this is what Dodo is and then forget about her yeah that's yeah. true Ben and Polly try to say yeah she decided not to she decided not to travel with you anymore because halfway through the story her contract ended and they didn't bring her this is obviously like canon I mean how it's done but my my opinion of a companion when I was doing my list is anyone who actually has to stay, live in the TARDIS for a period of time. So yeah. if, they're, if they're designated, okay. it's never seen on screen, but if they're designated their own room mm. in the TARDIS, or go on, they're a Or go on continual adventures with the Doctor, because Clara doesn't stay. That's Clara does? No, she doesn't. She no, lives. he keeps bringing her back. He, keeps, to... he goes, because she actually has her job. Well, that's, that's what it's funny. It's, it's just to say, because it's, it's Clara's the, the reason I brought it up that rule, because it's clearly stated that she has a room where she keeps she keeps some items just in case she needs them. You've also then so got... She designated um, a room. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You've also then got Liz Shaw, who mm. was um, John Pertwee's first companion, yeah. um, who was basically his appointed assistant for, from, from unit. unit. Yeah. But at the same time, she never travelled in the TARDIS because he didn't have the TARDIS at the time. That's a very good point. And in fact, Russell Davies, um, when he created Rose um, for the new show, he actually that he that relationship was what he wanted to draw on. He said that the companions after that were lacking that emotional connection to the Doctor. Yeah, but then they go a bit a little bit overboard. They do go a little bit overboard with that. But um, can, we, can we touch on that a bit? This is this that's the thing with the companions. Is as much as I love the idea of the companions and they're necessary. There's just this this new who idea that the companion has to be in love with the Doctor. Mm-hmm. It's just it's gone out of control, which is why well, the, I, I love the scene when Peter Capaldi shows up, where Peter Capaldi says, "I'm not your boyfriend." Yeah, and it's it's like it, this is needed to be said. <laughs> that, that's not only directed at Clara herself; it's directed at the audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this whole boyfriend business is yeah. just not going to work. Well, now. I mean, for, fortunately, they got they they kind of got rid of that pretty quickly with with Amy Pond. It was like she didn't actually love him. She just wanted to have sex with him at one point because she was getting married the next day and it was like one last fling. But then she gets married and they bring um, Rory. Rory into it and that, that kind of nicely kills that whole, you know, thing that they've been doing. And, and Donna, Donna didn't have that either. Donna yeah, see, Donna, Donna, yeah, Donna is, is one of the but exceptions the thing, which I love. The thing about Donna is that they specifically kept trying to say... Oh no, there's nothing going on here. Yeah, We're they overdid it a bit too just much. Just going, yeah. That's Russell T. Davies because Rose and the Doctor had a relationship. Martha was in love with the Doctor, but he didn't yeah. love her back. And yeah. now they're trying to say, "Oh no, we can just be friends." Yeah, it's so kind of like yeah. That, that line in that Peter Capaldi episode does does one in one line what the entire Donna relationship tried to do. Mm. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, um, as much as I love Donna, she's all. The thing about you know the the Doctor actually the Doctor actually tries to instantly do something about. Amy he actually brings Rory in, yeah, specifically because he's yeah. actually uncomfortable by Amy's advances. Yeah, yeah, because it's one of those. But it's why the Amy situation is one of those rare occasions where she actually comes. She like really comes on to him and yeah. like, hey, let's yeah. do it, mm. sort of stuff. Yeah. Whereas it's, I mean, obviously, you know, classic Hugh, 
you couldn't have had that sort of situation yeah, happen. But, yeah. but it's, I mean, yeah it's, Mary Whitehouse would have been on about that one. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, she attacked Doctor Who so much as it was. Oh, she would have gone mad during the Leela episode, surely. Yeah. yeah she um, would have driven that, it that crazy. Whole, that whole period, uh, Brain of Morbius became a big... <laughs> brain, of, brain, brain of Morbius and the, um, uh, the Invisible Assassin mm. were both... Like, she was all over those episodes. Because of Nyssa? Well, no, 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 because of the in a, brain. In a, in a chemist? Oh, a brain. No, no, because, because oh. of the brain oh, itself. We're talking about, talking about the burnt face. But I do, I do love the, uh, the, their admission that the BBC brought in Leela for, for the, the fathers watching. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. Just, let's get yeah. the fathers involved. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious. All right, so that actually does bring us to um, the first of our top threes, which is... Uh, yeah, I didn't want to do top three Doctors because, you know, there is only 12 or 13 of them. But I thought Companions give us a little bit more scope to, you know... Fair enough. To, to, to sort of branch out a little bit. So, um, yeah, so I'm interested. What, who are who do you consider to be the top three Companions? So, let's start with Crystal again. Well, just before we uh, start the Companions, I just wanted to say that I've been really enjoying... Speaking of Peter Capaldi, I've been enjoying his um, run so far, and, and I'm liking that he's sort of a throwback to the older Doctors. Yeah. Um, other than the boyfriend line, my other favourite line so far is um, when Clara's asked what she is, she says, oh, I'm his carer, and he says, she cares so I don't have to. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, every time he has to call someone a pudding head. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yes, I, could, I found it difficult to come up with a top three companions because yeah. after my top two, um, I'm not as familiar with old who as everybody else is. Um, right. And so the companions sort of all t- tended to blend. I mean, I, I know the, the individual ones, but none of them really stand out more than the other to me. So I've only got two top two companions. That's cool. One from old who, one from new who. Mm-hmm. Um my second favourite all-time companion ever is K-9. <laughs> awesome. Just because who wouldn't love a robot dog? I mean, you don't have to clean up after him. <laughs> it's high on the list. And, and, but you've got to keep repairing him. He does keep breaking down. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you've, got to, you've got to maintain a, 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 a living dog too. But K-9 can actually perform calculations and do things for you as well as the living dog. He actually saves the day quite a lot, K-9. Yeah. He's like the, the R2-D2 of the universe. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he is. He's very cool. Um, and my my top favourite companion is Donna. And the reason I like Donna the most is because um, they took a departure from the cute companion. Mm-hmm. And Donna's a more, with all due respect to Catherine Tate, she's a, she's a more ordinary, everyday looking person. And she's got an ordinary, everyday job. Mm-hmm. And she gives the audience that sense that, oh, the Doctor could pick anyone to be a companion. It doesn't have to be some super smart, cute little babe. Um, and the chemistry that she had with David Tennant was just brilliant. Um, the scene of them, when they finally realise they've run into each other again, looking through the windows, and they're talking to each other without yes. any words is just brilliant and it's, I, I think um, it's one of the best doctor-companion relationships I've seen um, yes they do go a bit overboard saying it is purely platonic but there's also a lot of um, love and respect there between mm-hmm. the two of them and, and I think Donna is one of the few companions that the doctor looks on as an equal mm-hmm. so awesome it's, it's, if I was going to have an honorary mention it would be Donna yeah, yeah she's and, and, and she also brings uh, her father into the into yeah. the mix as well. He's awesome. Uh, yeah, he, I love Wilf, and, and I, I just have to say I do love Catherine Tate just as a performer. Her sketch show is just one of the funniest things ever. She, she's very funny, and she brings that humour I think 
to the character yeah. really, really nicely. Yeah. Um, on an interesting note, her dad, played by Bernard Cribbins, yeah. um, the interesting thing with him is that he's actually also in the second of the Peter Cushing Doctor Who movies. Oh, wow. As well. So, <laughs> yeah, a completely unrelated character. And he's also been in um, Classic Who as well. That's right, he has, hasn't he? Uh, I can't remember the story, but he does show up. He's one. He, he, he's, he's a bit of Isn't he like a guard or something? Yeah. yeah. One of the classic yeah. Who's? Yeah. Bernard Cribbins is one of those actors who, you know, yeah, he's not done anything famous, but you just know him because you've seen him in so many. Yeah. The, the most thing I've known him is is the episode of Faulty Towers where Basil thinks he's the um, uh, the hotel inspector because he gets right. unrealistic <laughs> demands. Right. Cool. All right. Uh, so myself, uh, my t- my number three is Canine. Um, this because I mean for everything that Crystal's said, I mean who would not want a canine? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, you know. The, the way he said mistress all the time and his laser nose and <laughs> and saving the day on more than one occasion and you know what a champion and and that episode where he stays with um romana yeah uh, is just it's a tearjerker <laughs> um so yeah brain stuff um my number two is uh man of action jamie mccrimmon because uh, he's just he's awesome he just I mean, he just yeah. doesn't take any crap but also because I love the way the fact that he's I mean he's a Highlander so and so he's quite often sort of subjected to situations that he really he has just no way of processing um but he always finds he never freaks out he mm-hmm. always finds a way it's like all right I don't understand what's going on but I'm cool with it I just I'll let the, I trust the doctor to do what he's doing and and more importantly I'm here because you know he's old school gentleman I'm here to protect the girl so whether yeah. it was Victoria or um, Zoe, or Zoe, you know what I mean? So, can't protect themselves. Yeah, it's, it, you know, <laughs> well, okay. To, to be fair, Victoria in those, couldn't. She, <laughs> in those days, that that was you know yeah. the, the the way it was. I mean, yeah. This is not an anti-feminism thing or anything like that. Yeah. So, it's, um, so it's it's so he went. He just he had a really good sort of banter relationship with the Doctor, um, and he had a very a very protective non-sexual relationship with you know Victoria or Zoe. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it just. And plus, yeah, the man of action is basically this. Mm. He did he did all this cool stuff. Play had a cool accent and stuff, so it was groovy. Um, yeah, my number one is uh, probably a, a nod choice, but uh, Sarah Jane Smith, mm. um, mainly because she was the companion of my of my sort of my era, um, but also because I just I just love the way the the way that she just didn't take any crap. You know, mm. she just I mean, it was just she wanted. I mean, she, there was there was occasions where you know it was basically she was just reduced to sort of like you know getting scared at stuff and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I mean, it's, that's you know there's not much you could do yes. about that. But I mean, she just she demanded answers. She demanded to be part of the situation. So she was she was never she just refused to be you know pushed back into the background and and the you know the personality the machine that is Tom Baker to take over. Yeah, so if the is, doctor said stay, she she didn't stay. Never stay. <laughs> and you know, and cuz I can see how that could be annoying sometimes, but surely he knew. <laughs> um, but, um and he just and you could just tell that he just that the doctor really just really cared for her. He just he really I mean he just at first there was the, there was the friction, you know, with the cuz she started with with Pert, the Pertwee area. Yeah. And you know, there was a bit, a bit of friction there, but you know, but you could really tell that Tom Baker's uh doctor Really did care for her a lot, and I just and I very much love her reintroduction um, into the New Who yeah. universe. Yeah. We, we're the, the scene with her and Rose yeah. discussing. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're discussing the companion and, era type stuff, and, and she gets and, angry at the Doctor for leaving her. Yeah, well, and, yeah, there, yeah. There, there is a great episode of her show where she actually meets Joe Grant because the Doctor right, is cool. supposedly dead, and of course they they get stranded together, and they're discussing. 
their history with the Doctor. And of course, Joe got this wonderful send off where he hugged her and she got married. He said goodbye and and and, and left her, left her at, at, after the wedding and everything was fantastic. And of course, Sarah Jane gets dumped. And, Not uh, even in the right spot. Yeah, and <laughs> it becomes be this, it becomes this it becomes this whole issue between them during that episode. It yeah. is hilarious. To be fair. She was getting cranky with the doctor and saying, right, that's it, I'm leaving now. Yeah, but yeah. she didn't want yeah. to really leave. I mean, she mm. doesn't say, I want to go see Gallifrey, and he's like, well, I can't take you. Mm. Yeah. So, but yeah, so, Terry J, awesome. Yeah. Mm. Luke? Um, okay, my honourable mentions are Ace for, you know, being the more interesting element of the Sylvester McCoy era. I mean, how could you not love a character who decides that instead of just running mindlessly away from the Daleks, decides to go at them with an electrified baseball bat? <laughs> yeah. The people bet was awesome. Um, also, a tendency to just blow crap up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite one of my, is um, yeah, step back or you know, this is going to be a deodorant. This is she's got a can of deodorant. She goes, this is going to be a deodorant that registers five point nine in the Richter scale. <laughs> um, so Ace. Um, I also I do like Zoe. Um, like honorable mentions um, Zoe because whilst Jamie was the um the the awesome man of action. Uh, she was still um, smart and intelligent. And there's a moment in the War Games um, where they actually need to do some computer readouts and need someone very smart enough to actually relay information between all the computers and and come up with an algorithm that's going to help them win the day. And it's always the only one who can do it. Mm. That's that's the invasion. Of oh, the invasion, sorry. Not the War Games. That, that's to defeat the Cybermen, yeah. the invasion of Earth. But the point yeah. still stands. You know, she's yeah. the actual yeah. one who cool. goes between the computers and gets the numbers. Mm. Um and then there's Adric. Um, what? Adric. Adric <laughs> has the best departure the of the second worst opinion. character ever. No, Adric, I think you're, Adric... forget, you're forgetting Melody there, and you haven't seen uh, obviously enough of Dodo to know how bad That's that was. That's why I said second worst because of Dodo. <laughs> um, no, see, I, I always liked Adric, and I actually felt felt when he felt for. Felt his death quite keenly. Is that because you grew up with Adric? I'd no. say that's what it is, right? No. no? <laughs> You're really struggling to he deal with this. Start, aren't you? Doesn't he get blown into space? Was it? No, he gets. No, no, he, he, gets, um, um, he gets hit by the meteorite that kills the dinosaurs. No, he, right? he, he, he puts into, himself yeah. in the path, and oh, you know, yeah. that moment is also yeah. quite strong. So I've always liked Adric. Right, um, yeah. He makes a comeback in one of the uh, radio plays. Does he? Yeah. He comes back as a. His consciousness mm. gets downloaded. But my top three. And he dies again. Number three. Like, um, like Dave, um, Jamie, McAllen. No, sorry. McCrewen. McCrewen. Yeah. Um, I think is one of the Doctor's best companions. Um, awesome. You know, man of Redeemed action. Redeemed yourself, Adric. Never, <laughs> never backed down from a fight. And whilst he was not, um, not, whilst he was not the academic or the intellectual that Zoe and the Doctor were, mm. Doctor were, he was not an idiot. No, you know he had an instinctual way of um, responding to things that actually helped um, see him through a couple of situations, um, but also never come, never um, detracting from the, never detracting from the doctor. Yeah. My second is the second Romana, right? Because you know there was someone who actually was up to the level of the doctor who could get herself out of, got herself into many situations, but more often than not, actually used her attitude, her sass, and her intellect to get herself out as well. So, yeah, the second Romana. And my top companion is Leela. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, because, okay, in spite of what, in, in spite of everyone's initial reaction to the, um, the... The loincloth. The loincloth. Yeah. Um, the story I've just finished watching is the horror of Fang Rock. Oh, good. In which they actually do, it, which they actually do just put her in, you know, a woolen jumper and some pants and some, you know, admittedly high-heeled boots, but... Yeah. Um... <laughs> 
And once you remove that, the the core elements that are in her character it, when she's introduced, yeah, um, the take no nonsense, yeah, the um, stab first, ask questions st- later, stab first, ask questions, yeah. stab first, the, the basic, the, the the whole thing of I'm a warrior first, and if you get in my way, I am going to knock you down. In the yeah. horror of Fangrock, there's a moment where it has a typical, you know, cliched um, woman of a certain area screaming in pain. And Lila just turns around and slaps her. Yeah. Basically <laughs> saying, shut the hell up. Yeah. And get let's get deal, your act together. And the horror fan was sort of not a good story at all. But Leela, every scene she's in, always produces or shows strength, yeah. never backs down, never um, helps push things forward and helps the Doctor try to find a solution and is proud of the fact that she is the one who actually takes down the Rutan at the end. She has a massive role in the expanded universe. Yeah, yeah. she becomes Romana's bo- personal bodyguard. Yeah, which is pretty in, cool. Yeah, which is pretty <laughs> in the big finish stuff, which I'm not. I'm not actually listening. I want to listen to that stuff before before um, Richard finishes. Oh, sorry, you think? Yeah, no. Before before Richard finishes, I just want to throw something in there. It's, it's, yeah. it's remember that you love me. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, in, in lieu of honourable mentions, I've got the sleazy D top three. <laughs> oh no! Which segues directly from Leela, I think. So sleazy D's top three companions: Amy. Yeah, Clara, <laughs> and number one for sure, Perry. <laughs> no, she was hot. There you go. Moving on. Well, let's just, just drop this from highbrow to lowbrow. You, right? <laughs> you keep talking about Adric. Um, I'm, point out, I'm actually not a fan of Sarah Jane. Um, oh, Perry was a terrible companion, but Perry's far worse. But she was gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, about that. Um, I had to. Just, just very quickly for some honourable mentions, I'd actually like to include Clara as an honourable mention. I, I wouldn't put her in a top companion yet because, you know, she's obviously still there and I'd like to see her entire arc. But certainly that first storyline where he has no idea who she is mm. and why she keeps showing up in his timeline mm. made her probably the most interesting companion he's ever had as far as story and plot purposes go. Um, That's she overstayed her welcome. Well, no, actually, I'm actually still enjoying the character, but really, it's a question of what happens with her next as to, you know, how I would rank her right. um, as far as companions go. But, um, yeah, I just, I loved that from, from the Asylum of the Daleks story through to the 50th anniversary, I think she, she just had one of the best stories I've ever seen for a companion. Right. Plus, she's second on Sleazy D's list. Plus, she is second on, on Sleazy she's D's very pretty. See the Sleazy D's list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, Sleazy D's list. Um, and my other honourable mention would, would go to Zoe, but I'm, I'm just, I'll get back to that in a second. Um, so my top three, my number three is actually Ace. And the reason why I want to in- include her in the top three is she actually carries the show for the seasons that she's there. Like Sylvester McCoy is, is okay as the Doctor, but there's really not much there. Whereas... She is actually a really interesting and cool character, and she's the one that's doing everything in the episodes. And like, like really, the show is the Ace Show, yeah. you know, featuring the Doctor, <laughs> and um, and and really, she's what makes those final couple of seasons worth watching. Mm. Really, um, and the the BBC actually did before the reboot. The BBC did um, a radio sh- um, radio show, which was meant to be sort of the Doctor's last send off, involving Sylvester McCoy. But Ace is actually absent for that for mo- absent for the Doctor bit for most of it because yeah. she's going on this journey to become a Time Lord herself. Yeah. Um, so wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there is some. I just didn't know you could become a Time Lord. I thought you had to be just like. So you, you have, have, so to, you be you have to be Gallifreyan to be a Time Lord. I think well, that's, it's she kind goes, of an interesting she goes, question, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. She goes <laughs> on a she goes on a journey, and that one, that it sort of pays off. 
um, some of the stuff about the Doctor, because in Sylvester McCoy's era, there are hints that the Doctor is just a little bit more than a Time Lord. And mm. in that storyline, he starts to call himself I call himself a god of the fourth. Yeah. Oh, he's getting a bit above his station there. Getting a bit above his station. <laughs> um, but yeah, to, to, to Ace, you know, Ace's journey actually does, if you include that, Ace's journey does involve um, becoming a Time Lord at the end of her. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my number two companion is um, the second Romana. Um, I think there's there's an attempt during that period of Doctor Who to actually create a really strong female character, and it starts with Sarah Jane. Um, but Sarah Jane, I find just a, a little bit too pushy. Like um, Elizabeth Sladen says when she first got the script uh, for her first story, and she read through it, and she was trying to identify. Um, uh, the the key qualities of the character. The first thing she wrote was righteous indignation, <laughs> and she's right. Like that's absolutely spot on. Um, and 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 I think that there's a, probably a little bit too much of that for her to be a completely rounded character. And then Leela comes along, and once again they've got the sort of strong physical character. And you know, but as was pointed out earlier, there's also an attempt to make her you know for the dads and you know to sort of Is sexualize Leela after her a little Sarah. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. Romana was next. No, no, Romana comes after Leela. Oh, right, there you yeah. go. Cool. But with Romana, especially the second Romana, because of the chemistry between the two of them as well, um, but the second Romana, it's like they, they create a, a fully fleshed-out, three-dimensional female character. Um, and, and I think they've actually created the strongest female character that appeared in the show, um, in that initial series. So um, so she's my number two. Um, and my number one has to go to Jamie. Jamie McCrimmon. <laughs> Um, three for, in fact, three in out of fact, four. In fact, the the combination of Jamie and Zoe and the Patrick Trout and Doctor, I think, is the perfect grouping of Doctor and companions. I'd go because I'd, they I'd, all I'd back that up. Yeah, sure. it, they all complement one another. All they all play to play to one another's yeah. strengths and overcome each other's weaknesses. And um, and Jamie is just amazing. And you, you see, at the minute that Jamie comes into the show. Um, with the episodes that we have actually been able to see, Ben and Polly, you just they're they're forgotten. Like they're just yep. you, you don't care anymore, you know. Um, <laughs> and that, that's the strength that Jamie has, and and that's the reason why you know time and time again he's the companion that is brought back um, from that era. Um, you know, he's there for the five doctors. He's there for the two doctors. He has his own radio plays, and yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, definitely um, Jamie. I think is the best companion that we've seen on Doctor Who. Of course, no show, especially one that's been running for 50 years, would be complete or even really that successful if, you know, there weren't, you know, great antagonists to go with that. And, uh, you know, Doctor Who has some of the coolest villains and villain races that have ever appeared on uh, science fiction TV. Um, Now, I'm not going to roll off some of the classics because this is actually the second of our uh, top threes. So I'm going to leave it up to you guys to give me your favourite villains and just briefly why, and uh, that should give us a good list of, you know, the top villains you need to know. I think we've got a pretty good idea where this one's going to go, but uh, let's start with Crystal. Well, I did have a really good think about this, and and, and, uh, this might sound a bit of a cop-out, but I did struggle to come up with top three villains because... The villains aren't really the most interesting part of the show for me, so I, I, they're, they're more of a device to move the story along and for someone for the Doctor to, to beat. So I don't really... Um, there's not one particular villain I thought when I you know, I watch an episode, they're like, oh, cool, it's Daleks, or oh, cool, it's a Cyberman, or anything like that. So um, 
I, I, I unfortunately <laughs> will have to dip out of this one. I don't really have it. I mean, the first, obviously, the first one that comes to mind is the master, but I wouldn't really call him a favourite either. So I, don't really, I can't, haven't got a top three for you. I'm sorry. <gasps> don't be sorry. No, it's all good. <laughs> Uh, well, I do. Uh, first, up, first up, an honourable mention, um, and this is, I suppose, a little bit of nerd rage. I, I don't know, uh, but I, uh, my honourable mention would be the Weeping Angels, uh, mainly because of just of their look and uh, their their what I, what I call the serial killer teleportability, uh, mm. which is to be able to move when they're not being looked at. But the reason I didn't put them in my top three is because it was then then was when it was later revealed to me about how exactly it is that they kill by throwing you back in time and feeding off the energy. Um, I just thought that was so lame. That it sort of detracted some of the awesomeness away from them. So, But that, that's revealed in their first episode. Yeah. So right from, <laughs> right from the first Up episode. until that point, I was <laughs> like, right, okay. these are awesome. That's uh, right. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so my top three villains are, uh, number three, Sutek. Sutek! <laughs> Kneel before Sutek! Yeah, you were going to say Sutek. He's just... He looks, he looks awesome. Yep. He is more powerful than the Doctor. Yep. Like, yep. he just... He treats the Doctor like the child that he is. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he's just got the awesomeness voice. Yep. Uh, he's, just, yep. he's, just, he's just unbelievable. And, and that whole smoking feet thing, that happens when he comes out of his coffin the first time. Yeah. Yep. Everything about him is awesome. Yep. And so that's why he's my number three. Like, he's, his voice... Uh, Gabriel Wolf. Yep. Uh, he then later returns to do the the, the 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 creature in the pit, who's quite clearly meant to be the devil. But there's um, it's, <laughs> he's just his voice is awesome. He's also Sutek also has uh, on the uh, period Pyramids of Mars DVD release has a doc a documentary called uh, uh, <laughs> what it what is it Life After oh, Sutek or something yeah. I don't know something <laughs> like that. But it's basically just it's basically Sutek explaining about how he got cast in the show and and what he's done since then. And <laughs> it's just hilarious. You got to check it out. Sutek. Well, Sutek as Sutek, not the actor who. But no, Sutek yeah. the character. Yeah, so it's a mockumentary <laughs> type. Even when he even when he takes off the the Egyptian stuff and he, and he looks like you know the jackal headed type business. It looks yeah. kind of dodgy, but still awesome. Still awesome. Uh, now my number two is the Daleks. Um, it's you know, and that's obviously going to be on <laughs> quite a few lists. Uh, you know, I mean the the Daleks, uh, like Richard said at the start, they are they are iconic. Um, they were a brilliant idea and uh, continue to be awesome. Even maybe a little oversaturated. I mean, in yes. the in New Who, it's every third episode seems to be a darkly episode. Um, I do love when they learned how to go upstairs. Yeah, but they, <laughs> their ability to fly now is obviously a big, is a big bonus for them. But, um, but, but you know, their, their philosophy, their design... They've adapted. They are brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so my number one is uh, The Master. Um, so even even Crystal, who couldn't think of a top three, still mentions The Master because he's yeah. just... I mean, he's just do you have a particular version? Yeah, well, obviously any version that's not the John Sims version. He's my favourite version. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. It's the Here best. come the drums. What the hell? Eric Roberts. Oh, I was in the Paul McGann TV show version. Uh, I actually forgot all about him, but anyway, no, I, I'm of course. Yeah, I think that's a lot about Eric Roberts' performance, really. Uh, Eric so Roberts. He's. I mean, he's awesome. I mean, I mean, he's. I mean, it's. It's. He's, he's an obvious choice in in the terms of because he's the anti-doctor. Mm. Um, but he just—I just—I just love his machinations, and well, that, uh, that's what makes him so good, though. Yeah, like exactly. He, he is—he is the equal to the Doctor in every way, except that he's just not a nice person, and he's trying to take over the world. I do, I do. I, I mean, as, as much as I despise the John Sims version, he—I um, did like the fact that where they reveal that he is—he is insane, and there's a reason why. 
Yeah. Um, and actually, I quite like that. You actually kind of feel for him. It's like, well, it's, it's actually not his fault at all. He's not just, you know, just some bad guy for the yeah, sake of being bad. But I do but I do quite like the, the, the DeGaldo sort of moustache-twirling version. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so. Well, the, the great thing about uh, the Roger Delgado version is, first of all, he is not, not insane per se, but more, um, as you say, just... Machiavellian almost in his yeah, planning yeah. of everything. Like he's always he's always seven steps ahead of where the doctor. I always are. wanted an episode where he tied one of the companions to a railroad track. Would have been complete to get the dastardly achievement. But they also managed to set up a nice. They also managed to set up a nice relationship between him and the doctor as you know former friends who you know branched off in different directions we'll say as far yeah, as yeah. they I also do like how he, how he kills Nissa's father and takes his yes. takes his body to cheat the regenerations business all yep. awesome yeah um well, my my honorable mentions include Sutek and Morbius and the Cybermen. I agree with you. Sutek and Morbius, they should be brought I'm surprised they haven't been brought back into New Who. Mm-hmm. I think you well, can Sutek's act- Sutek gets brought back in the expanded universe radio plays. Yeah. Yeah. Again, he, tra- he travels back in time and you meet his, you meet Horus and but I'd bring him back into New yeah. Oh, I would he, too. He's, he's it, you can do you can do so much more with those two. And the Cybermen, of course, being you know the other um, major race aside from the Daleks to have carried on almost from the start as well. You know they've had a number of stories. Um, I think the Cybermen are pretty cool. Can I just use a quick aside for the Cybermen if you don't mind. Uh, I somebody somebody I know actually said it's like, uh, I don't I don't like the Cybermen because they're just a rip off of the Borg <laughs> oh, no. like, oh my god <laughs> foolish foolish uh, person almost drawn to violence yeah just just <laughs> sorry let's move it on that person is wrong <laughs> move it on so my top three um three the Ice Warriors awesome I'm a big yeah. fan of first of all they're first of all they're Martians and you know Martians are awesome Second of all, villains that operate in the cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the sort of the hive hierarchy type, the, the type of the um, the big drone guys, and I kind of like the um, the Darth Vader stylings of the various head. Hmm. Um, I swear, you like the Dalek we returned in that Matt Smith episode. Yeah, yeah, the summary. Yeah, I like. I, yeah. I like them. I want the Ice Warriors to come. I want them to do more of the Ice Warriors. Yeah. Um, you know, I like the, the sort of the hiss and the whisper as well, and I like the fact that. They haven't always been portrayed as the bad guys. The first Paladin story, they're actually um, yeah, they're, they're presented they're as the, the bad guys, but they're revealed not to be. Yeah, they're actually um, oh. the people who are actually have been um, uh, picked on. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, um, they've so, been deliberately framed mm. by the actual bad guys yeah, because they know right. that the Doctor dislikes them, yeah. and so does the rest of the universe. Um, so yeah, just... always a fan of the Ice Warriors. Um, my number two, like you, like Dave said, the Daleks. Um, you really can't overstate just how important the Daleks are to Doctor Who. If it wasn't for the Daleks, we wouldn't be talking about the Doctors today. Yeah. Um, you know, Unearthed Child, yeah, it's an, it's an okay story. The Daleks make the Doctor. You can't... Yes, they get oversaturated, but without the Daleks, where there is no Doctor Who. And, bam, and that leads into my number one choice, which is Davros. Um, mm. The creator of the Daleks, but I will talk more about him later. Okay, um, I'd like to give uh, an honourable mention. Um, I mean, yes, we've, we've already mentioned most of the most of the yeah, like Sutek and those sort of guys. I'd like to give mention to Omega. Yeah, 
the villain originally from the three doctors but also from Ark of Infinity um, I just love I, honestly I love evil Time Lords yeah um, you know I love Rassilon uh, um, the War Master from the War Games um, even even the Meddling Monk <laughs> you know for Middling some reason Meddling Monk is awesome for some reason I just I just I, I really enjoy the, 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 the bad guy Time Lords in the show um yeah, so I'd like to give an honourable mention to Omega. Plus, he does look awesome as well, yeah. much, much like Sutek. But, uh, okay, my, my top three. My number three is actually um, from New Who, and that is the Weeping Angels. They're the only real villains that have come from the new show that have actually stood the test of time and, and have now entered the popular culture mm. lexicon themselves. Um, plus, they are genuinely terrifying. Mm. Like as you as you say, the 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 serial killer teleport thing that they have actually built into their uh, evolution. Mm. Um, I I find them amazing, and I've I've loved all of the episodes that they've appeared in uh, to date. Um, so they're they're my number three. Okay, I'm actually not going to mention the Daleks because they have been covered, and I'll, I'll leave that with you guys. Um, but my number two is Davros, and Davros comes along at a point where he's absolutely necessary for the Daleks because the storylines featuring the Daleks before that um, were actually pretty weak and they, they were kind of overstaying their welcome and they didn't really have anything new that was being added um, to them. And, and they, they were kind of getting a bit old, really. And then Davros has come along and he's given the Doctor like, an intellect to actually go with the Daleks, an mm. actual face to the Daleks, um, yeah, so that, that's why he gets my number two. Without him, the Daleks had gotten very boring. Um, and I find that even with the new show, um, mm. you know, because they are a little bit oversaturated as well, but I don't think there's been that many great Dalek no. appearances. And that's because they don't have a, 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 the face of the Daleks, the, the, a specific leader to sort of rally your hatred behind. Um, they do bring in a couple of Dalek characters, like Dalek Khan. Do. And, yeah, um, yeah. Is Dalek Khan the insane one that keeps talking all the time? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Doctor. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> okay, but my number one, as I, as I said earlier, I, I do love, uh, you know, the evil mischievous Time Lords. And so my number one has to be uh, the Master. Hmm. Very specifically, though, more than anything else, I love the Roger Delgado hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, he was created by Barry Letts and Terrence Sticks to be the Moriarty to to the Doctor's homes. And and that's what he is. Mm. And as I said, he's always seven steps ahead of the Doctor in those early... He's always... He, his plans are always enormous, like so far beyond the Doctor's ability to, to think that, that it always takes a while for the Doctor to even realise that the Master is there and, and is actually involved. And when he does, it's always that moment where the Doctor goes, oh, this is actually much, much bigger than I thought. Hmm. You know, and the fact that he has that effect, well, and that he Johnson, does challenge Johnson's the Doctor version. on that level. Um, the John Sims version of the Doctor, I think, works really well for me for that one, that first storyline. Yeah. Although I do always think, you know, when I see it, I do always think, man, imagine if they'd actually kept Derek Jacobi. Yeah. As the master, because Derek Jacobi is such a great villain. Yeah, he actor. was awesome. Um, but I, I think he worked well for that story, where right. he was the evil Tony Blair. Gotcha. Um, after that, not so much. Yeah. Well, I do like the fact that he's now a woman. Yes, Missy. That's pretty impressive. And she is, um, she is very cool. I was cool. going to ask, what do we think of Missy? Um, I'm liking her, but um, I'm going to need to see her a bit more. I uh, still I can't quite 
I can't remember what happens at the end of that episode where David Tennant regenerates, what happens to the Master, and, and there's, I'm hoping there's going to be a storyline that connects the two between yeah. the John Sim Master and Missy. The John Sim Master um, is actually pushing um, all the rogue time lords back into the little time bubble yeah. Yeah. that um, the Doctor had actually created to put them in in the first place. Yeah, um, I remember that. And then, yeah, we don't actually see the master again until Missy. Until yeah, Missy so the, the, I remember that happening, and then the next thing you see is David Tennant sort of alone there, and then he turns around and, and Will's stuck in the thing. Mm. Something you don't really know what happens to the master. Mm. Mm. So look, that's um, just a brief sort of wrap up of the the best qualities I think that uh, you know that Doctor Who has, and why it's such an endearing show, and why we clearly all love it so much. Um, so now I just like everybody to um, just discuss, you know, three of their favourite episodes. Give us a brief a brief review of, of one episode in particular, one that particularly stands out for you and why. And that will, that will wrap this up. So let's keep the order that we've had and begin with Crystal. Okay. My second two fluctuated a little bit. Sorry, my third one fluctuated a little bit. My second one was always going to be the same. So I, I ended up setting... Uh, being satisfied with having the Day of the Doctor as my third favourite episode. Yeah. I mean, I know it's, it's sort of an extended episode, but it's still an episode. I think what I love most about that episode is my favourite thing about Doctor Who is it's like it references the past, and I always love when he meets different versions of himself and the chem- chemistry between the three of them. I mean, I love the line at uh, "I'm the Doctor and this is Granddad and Sanchez." <laughs> <laughs> And the, and the scene that David referenced earlier, where they're stuck in the um, stuck in the vault, and they're trying to figure out how to get out, and Clara just walks through the door. Mm. <laughs> and there was what, what's with all the pointing? It's a screwdriver. What are you going to do? Build a cabinet at them? <laughs> uh, I'd really love to see uh, whether maybe if it's a spin-off series or a parallel series, but a, a series with John Hurt as the Doctor. I think that mm. could work, mm-hmm. especially since they've. Um, they've introduced audiences to an older doctor and then it can work like modern yeah. audiences so i think that would work um my second favorite episode of all time and even though it's not my favorite doctor it's, uh, or my favorite companions it's my favorite episode is vincent and i think it's because the story of vincent van gogh is such a tragic one and and the fact that he died before he knew what sort of effect his paintings on had on the rest of the world, and people still talking about him hundreds of years later. It's always a tearjerker, this episode, and the fact that they could bring him and show him the impact he's made, and then, I mean, just when you think that's a tearjerker, you turn it back even more, and, and, and Amy's disappointment when it, it didn't change his life and make him not commit suicide and, and live on. Mm. It's just... It's just a really good, well-written episode, and I, and I love the fact they get around the actor's Scottish accent by the, using the TARDIS Matrix yeah. translation Matrix, and it's like him saying to Amy, "Say you're Dutch as well," and she's like, "No," and the doctor's like, "Yes, yes, you are." Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So um, yeah, even yeah, little things that stick out like that, um, they sort of worked around it. I made it kind of make sense. And the actor, I can't remember his name. I should have... Tony Curran, I think his there, name is. There you go. He's just brilliant as Vincent. I mean, he just... You believe this guy is Vincent Van Gogh. It's fantastic. Um, but my all-time favourite episode, and it might surprise you to know it, it's a classic Who episode, <laughs> is 
the city of death that's a tom baker episode now it's written by david agnew which is actually a, uh, a pseudonym for david fisher douglas adams and graham williams but as a script editor it's highly rewritten by douglas adams and you can tell yeah. Anyone else surprised that the Douglas Adams fan chose the Douglas Adams script? <laughs> well, I chose this above and over the actual one that um, the Pirate Planet that Douglas Adams is credit for because, as much as I love Douglas Adams, it's that episode's not, not that great. Not, no. no, but this episode is brilliant and it has all the things I love about Doctor Who because a lot of Doctor Who episodes are just a straight like they're stuck in this period of history and it's a straight story. This is very timey-wimey, hmm. to use a later Doctor phrase. <laughs> Sorry, David. <laughs> um, this one jumps back and forth in time, and it's got a complex story that only makes sense with the jumping back and forth in time. It's fantastic. It starts off like at the beginning of the time, beginning of Earth time, and you see uh, an alien spaceship blow up. And then you jump forward in time, and you find the Doctor and Romana daily walking around Paris, sometimes running around. There's a lot of running in this episode. I thought Doctor uh, David Tennant was the running Doctor, but, you know, Tom Bacon can give him a run for his money. There's a lot of running around Paris in this episode. Yeah, all the Doctors have got titles, but David Tennant's Doctor is the yelling, running Doctor. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so they're having a holiday in Paris for whatever reason. Why not? If you've got you all of time and space yeah. to explore, why not have a holiday in Paris? Yep. Um, and then um, they start experiencing time shifts, and, of course, the Doctor and Romana have to investigate and they um, run into a bumbling detective named Duggan who really should become more of a companion, I thought. He was a a bit of an idiot, but he was a fun companion. Um, To cut a long story short, they they, they come across the Count who is, we're not surprised to find out, the alien in disguise. Um, So what's happened in the start when the spaceship exploded, uh, the alien has been scattered across time and is... I think he said 12 different versions of himself in different time periods. And he's trying to build a machine in the basement to reunite himself and then go back and stop himself from pressing the button. Oh. Uh, and then, of course, the doctor learns this. But the, the interesting part about this is he's sort of um, he's trying to raise money to build his machine. And so in the 15th century, or 14th century, anyway, he's, he's with Leonardo da Vinci trying to get him to paint more Mona Lisa's so he can steal the current Mona Lisa and then he can sell six other versions and everybody he's selling to thinks it's the original Mona Lisa. Well, it is, really. Mm. <laughs> Although, it can't be all painted exactly the same. He's not a dot matrix printer. <laughs> <laughs> of all the crackpot money-making schemes. But, uh, that that, that, that's <laughs> that just, one's genius. It is, it is quite genius. And, and, and I love the way the Doctor ends up foiling it because he goes back in time and then writes fake and felt tip pen on the back of all the canvases <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just a brilliant episode but i do have to point out i was highly amused by the doctor uh romana and duggan uh trapped in a an, a, an ancient sort of room with a wooden door with a lock which the doctor manages to open with his sonic screwdriver <laughs> that's nothing compared to the brick that's not brick, it's stone, a stone wall. Yeah, but I'm just saying, in the, in the Day of the Doctor episode, he can't oh, open it no, with a sonic screwdriver because it's wooden. Nice, nice. But yeah, yeah. But this, this stone yeah. wall is hilarious. Like he chips, the Doctor chips out some of it, and then Duggan's 
like, screw this, I'm not waiting any yep. longer. It just charges through it. And they clearly, like, polystyrene blocks fly through And And the alien makeup is really terrible. But there is a wonderful cameo of John Cleese just toward the end of the fourth episode. Yes, um, there is. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. Yes, he's standing there with a, a, a young lady um, describing this wonderful piece of art, and you, they pull back and you see it's the TARDIS. <laughs> yes. Dr. Romana run in and it disappears, and they're like, Exquisite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the alien also played by Captain Nita. Yes, from um, The Empire Strikes Back. Very good. Yes, yes. Apology accepted. Yes, yes. Thanks, Russell. So, Dave, what do you got for us? <laughs> I've got my, my top three stories. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for cutting to me. Thanks for thinking of me. Uh, now, um, I do. My number three is. Uh, I couldn't. I just couldn't decide. I couldn't do it. Um, I didn't want one of them to be an honorary mention, so uh, I, I've, I've actually got two episodes as my as for my third. Uh, right. And uh, okay, cheat. Cheating. <laughs> cheating. Russell all right, I'll, cheat. All right, I'll make. All right, <laughs> since one of them's a new who episode, I'll make that the honorary mention. All right. Yeah, go for all right, it. So it's you know I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm not a fan of new who. Um, I just think it it's lacking some of the magic the classic uh, who has and I'm not just saying that because I'm an old man and you know yeah, sure. I grew up with, with it's just there's just something about it just seems it just seems overly commercialized I don't the, know the high production values and the good yeah the higher production values and the and you know better special effects and stuff the god given acting abilities Pair. <laughs> Pair at all that 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 whole companion love it just, it just irritates the crap out of me <laughs> um, but uh, that being said Two of my episodes are, in fact, New Who episodes. <laughs> so, <I laughs> take that as you will. I'm a, I'm a Mercurial man. <laughs> uh, so, my honorary mention um, is Blink. Because it's just, let's face it, it's just, it's just an awesome episode. Um, that, was, so that was one of my... Uh, the only reason I, so, the reason I popped it into, into Honourable is because it's New Who and because right. of the revelation of how the Weeping Angels' powers work. Um, <laughs> but, but, other, but that being said, it is... It is an awesome introduction to, like Richo said, uh, the, the I think the only villain from New Who that is actually good, um, hmm. and so yeah, it just it just works that way. And it is actually it is actually kind of scary. I mean, it doesn't scare me obviously, but it's it is. Oh, you're such a man's man. Yeah, <laughs> but it is. It's it's a steady diet of horror movies growing up, Dave. It's, it yeah, takes a point. lot, good but point. it is still very creepy, and that's what I like. I very much like creepy. Uh, so yeah, so my top three, uh, my third. Which I'm sure will be on Richard and Luke's list is Genesis of the Daleks. Um, it is, I, I don't know what more I can say. I mean, they're, they're going to say a lot about it, so I'll, I'll, I'll just skip over that. It's just Genesis. It is, it's just brain. Number two, um, again, Chris, Crystal's already said everything that I needed to say. My number two is Vincent, which I think is the only new episode that I actually just adore. It's just, it's brilliance, and it's, and it is a tearjerker, and I just think uh, Mr. Curran does an absolutely brilliant job, and I respect the fact that that they have the scene where they bring him forward. Um, mm. So I mean, they're actually they're kind of meddling in a way, but yeah. but they do they're it breaking the prime directive. But they don't do it out of some <laughs> stupid. It's, it's not a stupid reason. It's a it's it's a human reason. I yeah. mean, they just yeah. this man is in pain, and they do everything they can to sort of alleviate that. And the, the doctor still knows that it's not going to change anything. Um, but he does it anyway. It's a harsh just, lesson for Amy. I'm getting, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it now. It is, it is it's, it's brains. Mm. And it's only slightly beaten by my childhood favourite at number one, uh, the Pyramids of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, you know, which is not hard to guess considering that Sutek was one of my favourite villains. I love the Pyramids of Mars. It's not the greatest, let's be honest. It is quite often uh, put in, you know, into like top ten lists and stuff like that. Is, yeah. um, it's, I love... 
you know, the kneel before the might of Sutek. Um, I, I love the Zod element so, 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 to, to a bit. I'm a big fan of mythology and uh, uh, Egyptian mythology in, in particular. Um, so I do, I do like that aspect of it. I do like the, the organ playing villain at the start that you know that gets bumped off in the first episode. He's wearing a fez, by the <laughs> way. He's wearing a fez. <laughs> He's wearing a fez. Um, it's just you know I love the, I love the stupid looking servant mummies robot things and I just I just love everything about it. Sarah Jane is awesome. Um, and, you know it's, it's Tom Baker and he's and he's most overacting. It's just at one point he's talking to a he's he's talking to a wall. It's like, what are you doing, Tom? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's and you know, and Sutek himself is is presented in the villain scene. He's just, I mean, he's, he outclasses the Doctor in every way. <laughs> I mean, the Doctor wins <laughs> mainly by luck. Let's be honest. Um, so it's it's it really is is awesome stuff. It does have a bit. Uh, one of my favourite bits when they reference the past. It has a bit when um, Sarah Jane tries on a dress. And says, uh, "What do you think of this?" And he's, "Oh, it's a dress that Victoria used yeah, to Victoria wear." Victoria wore. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. A, it's yeah. a lovely dress. So yeah, shoddy special. It's got everything that classic Who needed. <laughs> uh, it's a great village, shoddy special effect. Like the special effect when the TARDIS keys fly through the sky. It's clearly I did love the mummies though. The mummies yeah. were awesome. That's what I said. Is I, was, yeah. I love them. I mean, they, they look uh, they look ridiculous. But it must have been really hard. And the bit when they're fighting, like one. Uh, a mummy servant is fighting a Horus guard who is essentially just a mummy servant but with some stuff on his shoulders yeah. and a mask to sort of make him look a bit, bit, bit more uh, I don't know the classic bit yeah. of the poachers running away and these yeah. mummies, mummies are stumbling after really slow but you know they're going to catch him anyway yeah the mummies clearly have serial killer teleport abilities yeah. uh, I'm a big fan but uh, yeah but they have fight with a Horus guard and the mummy and they're, they're meant to be fighting like some sort of epic battle but it's basically just them hugging it's just a hug of death so yeah, so uh yeah, it's it's Vincent probably uh, Vincent is a better episode, let's be honest, but periods of ours brilliant. <laughs> Luke. Um, okay, all of mine are Tom Baker stories, so you know, let's get that off the let's get that off the bat right away. Um my number three is the brain of Morbius. You know, the Hammer style, which I'm a huge fan of, Hammer style Frankenstein story, um, is pretty good. And then you get the scene where the Doctor and Morbius actually have their um, their kind of their psychic battle, <laughs> and then you get the well, are these people all Morbius, or are some of these people the Doctor's previous pre Hartnell lives as well? Yeah. Um, styling, so I've, I've always appreciated that. Um, my number two is the Talents of Wang Chiang. You know, it's it's the story that scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Um, but you know, the Victorian era sense, the Victorian era setting, um, uh, the peak homunculus that. You know, runs around killing people. It is creepy. Um, the uh, yeah. uh, Tong Kung Fu uh, criminals and Tom Baker wearing a Sherlock Holmes outfit. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, oh, and also the giant rat running around the sewers <laughs> as well. Um, but, you know, all, a, a really creepy story. Um, my all-time favourite, though, is um, is Genesis of the Daleks. And the reason for it is this. First of all, the, as has been said, the introduction of Davros. Um, you know, yes, much needed for the Dalek story. So, much, but so popular was Davros um, that every Dalek story in Classic Who, um, from Genesis on, from Genesis through to the end of Sylvester McCoy, was a Davros story as well. Mm. Um, he was he then became so linked with the Daleks that um, he pretty showed up in every Dalek story since. And there's not that many after Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, so yeah, the, the inclusion of Davros, also the sense of morality as well. 
seeing the the whole idea is that the Doctor has gone back to stop the Daleks before they have been created, and of course naturally failing in that, but you actually see the struggle that not just the Doctor has to go through, but um, the people who actually work for Davros have in attempting to instill the Daleks with a sense of consciousness to be able to determine right from wrong, so that, you know, the Khaleds, who the Daleks are going to become, um, sorry, who the, the the cards are going to become the Daleks. They don't. Um, they aren't just mindless killers conquering the galaxy, which of course goes against Davros's protocols, who believes utmost in the superiority of his creations. Combined with a moment where the Doctor himself, when he's actually presented with the opportunity to destroy the Daleks once and for all, actually questions the rightness of what he's about to do, and that I think actually elevates what is uh, already a, a fascinating adventure story into something a little bit beyond. And it's one of the reasons why um, Genesis is, is quite often voted as the top Doctor story of all time, because mm -hmm. there is actually this other theme running through it which speaks to uh, something very human. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so the inclusion well, of Davros is awesome, but the, the, the discussion of morality is also interesting as well. Well, for me, I've got to say, this was really, really hard. Mm. Like, I, it, narrowing it down, I had, um, you know... Well, I had three episodes from New Doctor Who. I had Blink, Vincent, and Asylum of the Daleks. Yeah, that's a good um, And I, I, I had to then... For the old Who, I had to go back and pick my favourite episode from each period of Doctor Who to try, to try and narrow it down that way. Um, and um, one of the things I found was that uh, it's, it, it, across the board in old Who, it seemed to be the... Um, the final episodes for each of the Doctors hmm. um, was was what I was sort of narrowing it down to. Um, I will say this, though. My number one, because I'm actually not going to talk about it, because Luke has... My number one is actually Genesis of the Daleks. That's the one that breaks breaks that standard rule. But, um, you know, Planet of the Spiders was awesome. Um, I actually like the Tenth Planet. Yeah. I think Tenth Planet is cool. So my number three episode um, is uh, Caves of Androzani. Cool. It would probably rank higher, but I actually haven't seen it for a long time, and I'm working my way through Who at the moment, but I'm only in the top the Tom Baker period right now. So, but Caves of Androzani has always stood out for me from back when I first saw it as just just a brilliant, absolutely brilliant episode. And okay, so my number two story that I want to talk about though is actually the War Games, mm. which is the final episode of Patrick Troughton's era. Very briefly. The Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe, who, as I mentioned earlier, I, I think the perfect combination of Doctor and companions, um, arrive on an alien planet where they discover that um, the aliens are drawing human soldiers from different time periods on Earth and fighting them against one another in order to create, like, this perfect super army of soldiers out of the survivors. But the Doctor finds that um, this is all uh, being um, aided by um, a Time Lord, uh, called the War Chief. Now, the War Chief is kind of... He's, he's like a prototype version of the Master. He oh. even actually looks a bit like the Master. And But the the really amazing thing for me for this episode... First of all, it's ten episodes long, and at no point was I bored. Oh. At no point was, was there any real filler. Um, but it's also an absolutely key episode in the Doctor Who mythos, because this is the first time you actually see the Time Lords... It's the first time you actually go to Gallifrey, even though it's not actually named Gallifrey at this point. Um, and it has one of the harshest send-offs for companions I've ever seen. It's like, Jamie and Zoe... Because like, basically the Time Lord... The Doctor gets to a point where it's like he's, he defeats the enemies, but he can't actually get the soldiers back to their own time period. And if he just leaves them there, it's going to cause all kinds of, of problems. So he has to contact the Time Lords for their help. 
But in doing so, he condemns himself to trial as well because for the crimes he's committed in their minds in the past. So oh. in the final episode, he's actually put on trial and found guilty, and they force a regeneration on him as oh. part of his punishment. And they exile him to Earth, which sets up you know the whole of the John Pertwee era. But for, for poor Jamie and Zoe, they are dumped back into their own time periods pretty much at the point that they were picked up in the first place with no memory of their time with the Doctor. And I just think, man, that is just horrible. That happens, horrible that happens to Donna. I think that yeah. is really harsh to have no memory of your Yeah, exactly times. right. Exactly yeah. It doesn't right. make you feel better to know that uh, in the expanded universe, Jamie, it turns out that Jamie was taught a trick to not have his memory wiped, so he actually remembers everything. Well, I mean, uh, they kind of neither because he, he then continues to show up in the series anyway, um, <laughs> which is always awesome. But it's, it, it's a great episode and it's a really great send-off for, for that period of Doctor Who as well. Cool. So thanks very much, guys. And there you have it. There is a not-so-brief, <laughs> not as brief as I might have thought, but um, there, there's a, just a rundown of some of the great things that make Doctor Who such an endearing show and the reason why, you know, everybody here in the NCP crew absolutely uh, just loves the show, even despite Dave's dislike of the new Doctor Who. He clearly continues to watch it. There's a reason for that. So, <laughs> um, if, if you are a fan of the show and you, you have been watching it for years or you've become a fan, you know, because of the new show, then you'll understand exactly what we're talking about, why we love it so much. And, um, if not, if you haven't seen it, um, do so. It's well worth your time, even if you start with the new stuff. But it's it's well worth going back. It's such a rich and vibrant history and, and universe that they've created for Doctor Who that, um, yeah, it, it cannot be, you know, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It was my favourite show as a kid and it remains my, you know, one of my five favourite shows even today. So, so check it out. All right, well, that's it for episode 160. Thank you very much for bearing with me instead of Dave. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, a topic I could have talked about for about another eight hours. So yeah, there's, plenty, there's plenty we didn't say. Exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. So that's it from me uh, and from the rest of the crew. Crystal? Timey-wimey. <laughs> and Luke? It has been a pleasure. <laughs> and Dave? Uh, how have I expected to follow that up? Bye. <laughs> Fences are, are cool. Fences are cool. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.